Well, good morning, church family. My name is Samaria, and today I'm going to be reading our Bible verse for us. It's going to come from Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asif, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. It had been four long months since Nehemiah got the news. A report from his brother that their Jewish homeland was in total ruins. It had, in fact, been in ruins for almost a century, and yet this fresh news, an eyewitness account from his brother, completely hit Nehemiah like a brick. What about God's promises? How would Messiah return to his kingdom, to the land of promise, when it lie in rubble and ruin? He was servant to King Artaxerxes, yet his deepest loyalty was to the heavenly king. And Nehemiah felt completely helpless in this situation, and so all he felt he could do was to lay down on his knees and weep and pray and call out to God. And month after month, this burden that God had put on his heart just became stronger and stronger and stronger, and his knees were swollen from prayer, and his belly ached from fasting, and his spirit was just wretched with longing. And then one day he broke. He broke. Nehemiah had always prided himself on being strong and consistent before the king. And yet when he took the cup and laid it into the hands of the most powerful ruler of the world, his countenance was compromised. The king spied this breach of trust. Was this a sign of treason? What was going on? With his trusted servant, his eyes were swollen. His heart was heavy and distant. There was a sadness in him. And in that moment, these months of prayer that Nehemiah had spent seeking and searching for God, building his faith, well, his faith would be tested. It was now time to rise up in faith and step into action. So we began our series last week called Rise up. And we were introduced to this character named Nehemiah, Nehemiah the cup 
bearer to King Artaxerxes of Persia. And when Nehemiah heard the news that the Jewish homeland was in ruins, why, he was ruined by that. And he began to pray. And did God answer him? Actually, no. <laughs> month after month, he continued to pray and pray. But he would not give up because he was convinced that eventually God indeed would answer his prayer if he just had faith to believe that God would do it. And that's what we're going to talk about today is specifically how faith helps us step into action. And so here's our very first point, and it's this, that faith helps us wait on God. Faith helps us wait on God. You see, when we pray, don't we just sort of expect that an answer is going to come right away? It's going to be right there, kind of like going through the McDonald's drive-thru, right? We place our order, and then we just expect that we're going to drive up, and we're going to get what we asked for, and da-da-da-da-da, you know, we go on our merry way. But God seldom works this way. And it's not because he's not powerful enough, and it's not because he's unwilling. It's because God wants us to persevere in prayer. Because prayer itself is more than just changing our circumstances. Prayer changes us. And in fact, I believe that that's probably God's greatest measure of what he wants to do through prayer. Because when we pray persistently, our burden sinks deep down into us. Our desperation grows, and we find ourselves in a place of helplessness and dependence on God. And this waiting time is never a wasted time because as we wait on God, he becomes all we have and all we need. And it's in this waiting time as Nehemiah is waiting on God that God prepares him to be a man of faith so he's ready for his coronating moment when he meets with the king. Nehemiah 2, 1 to 3 says this, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins? And its gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah's concern was so great, he couldn't contain it any longer. It had wrecked him, and it brought the attention of the king who asked him why he was so sad. And Nehemiah became afraid because this definitely was a break of protocol. You see, in those days, in the days of totalitarian, totalitarian rule, the only way that a king was overthrown was that they had to kill him. They had to off him altogether. And oftentimes, it was due to poisoning. And so as the cupbearer, Nehemiah was the king's last defense to protect his life. And a very sturdy and steady countenance was sometimes the only thing that a king could count on in order to make sure that his servant really was truly loyal to him. And so any sort of distress would cause the king to really wonder what was happening with his servant. And yet Nehemiah's persistent prayers had prepared him for such a moment as this. And his waiting on God, you see, and his dependence on God built confidence in God into Nehemiah. This is very similar to Nehemiah's predecessor generations before. David, you see, when David had 
Saul murderously after him, trying to take his life. David had to wait and pray and wait on God for years before he was delivered from this. And yet in that time, David was perfectly prepared for who he needed to be and what he needed to do and what God had for his future. Psalm 33, 20 to 22 reminds us of David in his heart and his words. And he says, we wait in hope for the Lord, for he is our help and he is our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And so when we pray, you see, we wait and we release and we hope and we have faith in God. And Nehemiah waited on God. And then one day... Many days later, God opened a door, opened a door, and having been shaped through all this time of waiting in his spirit, he was ready then to address the king with incredible tact and wisdom. And you see, when Nehemiah talked to the king, he never referred to his homeland as Jerusalem. That was sort of a sticky word with the king. But he referred to it as the city where my fathers are buried, which really brought out in a way that the king could relate and also be able to be attached to that word emotionally. Because if you remember back in ancient times, these ancient kings, they put a lot of investment into the way that they, memor they were memorialized. If you think about the pharaohs in Egypt and these big, beautiful palaces and places that they built for themselves. And so here it is, as Nehemiah describes his homeland is the place where his fathers were buried. The king was attached to that and understood that. And that set the stage for his request, which leads to our next point. That faith helps us answer to authority. Faith helps us answer to authority. There's always been this tension, and aren't we in the middle of it right now, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of mankind. And what's interesting is for the most part, God is very clear that he encourages us to be supportive of and respectful toward those who govern over us. In fact, the apostle Paul, when he gave instructions to Christians in Rome, said this. He said, submit to governing authorities, for there's no authority except that God has established. And if you think about it, there are many different examples of godly men and women like Joseph and David and Daniel, Esther, Nehemiah, and Paul, who submitted to the authority over them, and through that, they resulted in gaining favor and even positions of influence and power under the most evil and tyrannical kings and governors. In fact, it was their loyalty and support that God used to influence the hearts of these kings as well as those that they ruled over. And in each case, it was a bold faith that unlocked this influence. Nehemiah 2, 4 to 8 says this. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. And so I set a time. And I also said, if it pleases the king, 
May I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct as I arrive in Judah? And may I also have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he'll give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residents that I'll occupy? And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my requests. So the king's heart was moved. And he actually asked Nehemiah here, what do you want? I mean, think about that change of events, that a divine appointed change of events where the king is asking his servant what he wants. And so immediately we see Nehemiah turn to God in prayer. And you got to love a man who has conversational, his whole life is about a conversation with God. He's turning to God in prayer. And it's his connection to God that makes him bold. Because what he asks for next is absolutely outrageous. And we don't always catch that. But if you actually look back in Ezra 4, 1 to 16, we're reminded that what he's asking the king is to actually reverse the king's own policy that he had put into place when Ezra was rebuilding the temple. They began to start rebuilding the walls. And then these rulers of the trans-Euphrates region beckoned and, and solicited to King Artaxerxes and asked him to stop this rebuilding because they saw it as a threat. They said, this is a threat to us, a stronger Jerusalem, and it's a threat to you. And Artaxerxes agreed. And he immediately had a decree that stopped all building in Jerusalem. It all stopped in that moment. It was Artaxerxes that had done that. And here was Nehemiah asking him to reverse that decision, which one we know would anger his allies and also cause him to look weak and indecisive. Yet Nehemiah did not hold back. You see, he believed in the trust that he had built in the relationship with that king. And also he believed and knew for sure and by faith that God could change any heart. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. And Nehemiah knew that God changes hearts and he depended on it as he listed his requests. Now, it's curious, it's interesting, actually, that Nehemiah includes another significant influence into this situation. He tells us that the queen was sitting next to King Artaxerxes. Now, many biblical commentators believe that there's no mistaking the way that it's inserted here. It jumps out at you. This actually may have been Queen Esther. Queen Esther, who was Jewish and also would share a significant influence in seeing the kingdom of God rebuilt. See, because it's very probable that Artaxerxes, who came immediately after Xerxes, was probably Xerxes' son. Now, Xerxes married Esther. So this could have actually been Artaxerxes' mother, or he could have been influenced by Esther, who was there during that time. And also, had he been born to one of Xerxes' other wives, he, she could have been an incredible influence in his life. But what we do see here is that God used Esther as in a moment of Jewish history that was so poignant and important. God was at work opening doors, aligning things all around in unexpected, amazing ways so that Nehemiah could rise up and step into this opportunity, head toward Jerusalem, get this, with the king's decree in his hand the king's building supplies, the king's military escort, and the full backing of the Persian Empire. What an amazing God. 
What an amazing God. And Nehemiah didn't take a moment to hesitate to praise God for his faithfulness, declaring that God's hand was upon him. He celebrated God's protection, God's provision, and God's blessing. And it all began with what? It began with prayer. Because prayer takes us into places of power and influence, takes us into palaces, takes us into courtrooms, takes us into residences where kings and key decisions are being made. Prayer changes hearts, prayer changes minds, prayer changes everything. Prayer unleashes the power of God into every situation. And so it's important to remember that one of the most important things, the primary thing that we can do is to pray and wait for God's answer. And it is not weak to pray. Next, faith helps us overcome adversity. As we often see in the Bible and experience in our own lives, just when things start to kind of roll our way, you see, changes and challenges can soon arise. Nehemiah 2, 9 and 10 says this. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. Remember, these are the guys that had wrote to Artaxerxes before. The king had sent also army officers and cavalry with me. And when Sanballat the Horite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Now, between just these two verses, between verses 8 and 9, is a span of nearly three months and 800 miles. Traveling from Susa to Jerusalem was no small undertaking. Nehemiah journeyed long and hard through barren terrain to his homeland. And after all the sweat and toil and all of the desolation that he had to work toward and through, you'd think this guy would get a break, right? But what did he get? He got opposition. And the opposition took the, the face of Sanballat the Horite and Tobiah the Ammonite. And these men began to sow seeds of discord and resistance. They were the face of a greater enemy. When we seek to follow God's plan, we can expect that there will be spiritual opposition that will quickly follow. And if you think about it, nearly every significant man or woman in the Bible, when they sought to do something for God and follow God's path, they were quickly followed by spiritual opposition. And what the enemy, though, means for our defeat, God uses to strengthen our resolve and clarify our purpose. For example... There was a dear elderly lady. She was a woman of great, incredible, strong faith, and she was not afraid to let people know about it. In fact, she would stand out on her porch and she would say, praise the Lord, what a beautiful day. Thank you, Jesus. Well, next door to her lived an atheist, and he hated this, absolutely hated it. And he'd say to her, you fool, there is no God. And he'd repeat this every time that she'd get out there on her porch. Well, at one point, the poor lady, she faced really difficult times. And so she went to go shout out to God on her porch. And she went out there and she said, oh, Lord, I am hungry. I need food. Lord, please send me some groceries. Well, the next morning, she walked out there. And sure enough, a big bag of groceries was sitting there on her porch. 
and she began to proclaim, thank you, Lord, praise you, Jesus, at which point her neighbor jumped out of the bushes, walked out onto her porch, and he said, ha, I told you so, there is no God, I bought those groceries for you. To which the woman started to shake her hands and raise her hands in the air. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. You not only bought me groceries, but you made the devil pay for them. <laughs> our faith, our faith helps us overcome adversity. And our faithfulness emboldens our confidence in God. Next, faith helps us see the possible. Faith helps us see the possible. See, often what lies in front of us is so amazing, so discouraging, so overwhelming, so big, we feel powerless to do anything about it. But faith helps us see past our circumstances, and faith helps us to see that all things are possible with God. Nehemiah 2, 11 to 16. Nehemiah says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days... I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone that my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. Now, there were no mounts with me except the one I was riding, but the night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal wall and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room even for my mount to get through. So I went up to the valley by night, examined the wall, and finally I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. So Nehemiah, he arrives in Jerusalem after this long journey, and before he did anything else, it says that he just sat still for three days. And you got to wonder, okay, what did he do for those three days? Well, if you think about his track record, I honestly believe that Nehemiah probably paused, Nehemiah paused, and he waited, and he listened for God, and he got his heart in tune with God's heart. And then he began to survey the situation. Nehemiah had grown up in Persia, right? He's in exile. He'd heard all his life about the homeland, about Jerusalem, about this place of promise, the land of his ancestors, the place where God's presence dwelt with his people, the place that they'd hoped that God would return. And he looked around, and it was in ruins. It was in ruins. Miles of these huge stones rolled into valleys, gates charred and burned to ash. The carnage was so overwhelming, his horse couldn't even manage to get through it. And there was a good reason why this city had laid bare for so long of a period. The task was unsurmountable. I mean, the size of the rocks that need to move, the labor, the cost, the opposition, it was more than anyone could handle, more than anyone could even imagine or fathom. That is apart from faith. Nehemiah looked past the devastation, and he saw a restored nation. He looked past the impossible and considered what was possible through a God with infinite resources. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You see, faith in its assured hope in the not yet 
that it will be because the not yet is held in the hands of God. And as we survey our own situation right now and look out around us, faith calls us to look past our current circumstances, past the darkness to God's light and the possibility that God can reverse our earthly reality. Because this is really what it is to live in the kingdom of God. Because wherever we go, if you think about it, wherever we go, we carry the divine presence of God with us, that we bring light with us to carry into the darkness. And our prayers are like these relay stations that God uses to bless those all around us. And how powerful it is for us to be able to walk through our neighborhoods, through our towns, through our schools and into our grocery stores and praying God's grace and his power over all of these places. You see, because just as Nehemiah surveyed the land with eyes of faith that activated the power of God, so we also can bring God's power into these places, our neighborhoods, our community, and even our nation. Because we never should underestimate the power and the purpose of the Spirit of God that has been placed inside of us, that we have Jesus with us wherever we go, and that presence changes everything, everything. Next, faith helps us step in and stand up. Now, the culmination of all of this preparation, you see, was to finally, for Nehemiah to be able to step up and step in and act. And as Nehemiah had waited on God, as he'd seen with greater eyes of faith and vision, as now through the power of God's spirit in him, he was ready to call out to the people to join him in action. Nehemiah 2, 17 to 20 says this. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. And I also told them about the glorious, gracious hand of God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let's start rebuilding. So they began this great work. <laughs> but when Sanballat the Horite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and they ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? And I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, as servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Nehemiah infused faith in God's people. He reminded them that God was with them and that God had blessed and given them favor with the king. And the people were stirred up to do the good work. And again... Here comes opposition, right? Sambelet to the north, Tobiah to the east, Geshem to the south. They surrounded them, began to threaten them, intimidate them, because these rulers had really enjoyed the power that they had, the influence they had, the control over God's people to squash their hopes, to thwart their plans. But Nehemiah stood up. He declared that God was with them. He was on their side. He would not relent. He was committed to fill God's calling at any cost. He stood in faith and resolve because there was no other option. 
when such was the case during World War II when Winston Churchill faced the blitzkrieg of Nazi Germany. You see, countries were falling left and right, up and down they fell under the force of this evil empire. And the pressure began to build on the British forces. They began to buckle. And yet the call of their leader was clear, was resolute to buoy them with faith in their mission. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory, however long and hard the road may be. For without victory, there is no survival. We shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight in the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island Whatever the cost may be, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight in the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender. <laughs> and now in our time of turmoil, we face an invisible enemy. We are confronted by a darkness that has crept into the soul of our nation into the consciousness of our world, a darkness that has been woven into the fabric of our very youth. We are isolated, we are divided, we are scattered through a shifting and a sifting and a falling away. Our faith is tired, but it's true. Because while the church feels defeated, just as at the moment when the Savior lay dead on the cross, there is a rumbling. And there is a ripping, and there is a roar. For the lion, the tribe of Judah, will not be silenced, and his people will not be defeated. Romans 8, 31 to 35 and 37 says this. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from God's great love, does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened by death? No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. You see, the victory is ours in Christ. And in this time and in this day, while our love for this world wanes, we become emboldened with a new vision, a vision that reminds us that God is on the throne and the gracious hand of God is with us and our community and our nation and our world will be rebuilt and renewed and reborn and we can rise up and build again church of God for the gracious hand of God is with us. The hour of promise is at hand. 
This is our hour to pray and seek God's burden. This is our hour to wait from power from on high. This is our hour to search for God's open door. This is our hour when we will rise and we will rebuild and we will restore. This is our hour. But before we rise up, we need to fall down. We need to fall down in prayer and seek God's face and know God's heart and follow God's will. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are indeed the God of the impossible. And sometimes in the time is darkest of all is when your light shines bright. So we look to you with eyes of faith to see past our current circumstances. We look with amazement at how when everything seemed lost, everything seemed overwhelming, you were working. And we believe that in this time, and even in this place, that you are working. So Lord, we come to pray, to wait, to seek, to listen, ready to rise up at your time so that we may again rebuild according to your will and power. In Jesus' name.